0: When Jesus Christ died and rose again, the people of God, remarkable benefits, especially the gift of righteousness. And with that comes all the blessings and all the graces and all the mercies that a perfect person would have before God. Now, you and I understand we indeed are not perfect, but Jesus Christ shares his righteousness with all those who will trust him. And the moment they do, they are, they begin a journey with God as in God treats them as if they had lived. And he gives to them all the blessings, all the graces, all the mercies, all the help, all the benefits of knowing Christ as Savior. And in other words, they have the same love and they have the same help that Jesus did. And God gives it to them. That is one of the wonderful promises found in on chapter 14. I want you to turn there with me. We'll begin reading in verse 15, and then a little bit later we will look at Acts chapter 2. Uh, if you're looking in your pew Bible, it's page 1664, but we're going to look at these two texts this morning and look at what it means to have one of these great gifts that Jesus purchased for us, and here in this text, specifically the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, our Counselor. Now, have you ever been trying to pass another car on the road, and you pull out into the other lane to pass that, and another car comes? Or there's just not quite enough lane for you to trust that another car is not headed the other way, from around the corner or from, the other, uh, from on the other side of the hill. Wouldn't it be great if there was an airplane above you that was in communication with you and could tell you when it was safe to pass and when you needed to wait and delay that? It would be great to have that. Well, God has given us that kind of counsel and even more in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us as a counselor. Uh, The word here used in John chapter 14 in verse number 16 where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit being, um, being a helper. It's translated in the New International Version as counselor, in the New King James Version as a helper. All of these are accurate and all of these are true, but um, it was oftentimes used in the ancient Greek world for someone that would go to court with another and assist them in legal proceedings. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were to go before the court and stand before a judge for whatever reason, I would be thoroughly lost as to what to do. I don't know the vocabulary. I don't know the procedures. I, I don't know the courtroom at all, I would need a counselor with me in that sense. And that's the word that is used here for the Holy Spirit. It's the Greek word parakletos, translated helper in some versions, counselor in others, and a, a comfort in the older King James uh, Version. God has provided this for us in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus describes this beginning in John chapter 14 and verse number 15, where he promised the disciples that the Holy Spirit would counsel them in their needs. Beginning in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another parakletos, helper or counselor, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You can receive the counsel of the Holy Spirit if you know Jesus Christ. And this morning I want to cover that with some basic points, some basic practices, and some basic promises. First, some basic points to make about the Holy Spirit. One is, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it, so it's never appropriate to refer to the Holy Spirit as it. The New Testament uses the male pronoun he for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has thoughts, and the Holy Spirit has feelings, and the Holy Spirit has senses. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, We can Hear the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit acts as a person. Now, I didn't say he's a human. He is indeed a person. As the Father is a person, as the the Son is a person as well. The Holy Spirit is also God. He is as much God as the Father. He is as much God as the Son as well. He also resides in all believers the moment they turn to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul, writing to a congregation that oftentimes did not behave very Christianly, said, uh, anyway, you've all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every one of the Corinthians, in the totality of those that knew Christ, they had been baptized into the Holy Spirit and were made, Paul said, to drink of one Spirit. So all believers received the Holy Spirit at conversion. And then the Holy Spirit longs to magnify Christ. If you want the power and the help and the counsel of the Holy Spirit, you've got to get on the same page as the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not about magnifying Himself. The Holy Spirit is about magnifying Jesus Christ. When it comes to Himself, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is rather introverted. When it comes to magnifying Christ, the Holy Spirit is very extroverted. There is a zeal and a fire in the passion and a passion in the Holy Spirit to lift up Jesus Christ and magnify him. And if you want a church and a life and a family and a walk with God that is alive and brimming with energy and vigor granted by heaven, then you get on the same page as the Holy Spirit and begin to magnify Jesus, sell out to him, and abandon all for Jesus Christ. Then you've got the power of God the Holy Spirit. He longs to magnify Christ. Now to have the Holy Spirit you've got to receive Christ as Savior and Lord and that's why we're going to give you an opportunity to do that today. Whenever you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, when you repent from your sin and you trust the cross and resurrection alone, God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit and at the end of the message today we will give you the opportunity for that. Well those are some basic points but then some basic practices about the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of a couple that was married, and uh, they went off on their honeymoon. They stayed in the bridal suite the first night, and it was a lovely place, but the only bed available to them that they found happened to be a -a pull-out hide-a-bed that was in the sofa. And it was lumpy, and it was uncomfortable, and the next morning, with sore backs, they went to uh, the front desk, and they complained about it. And uh, the young man at the front desk looked at their room assignment and said, well, didn't you see the room next to you? He said, well, there's a door there. You were to open it, and it opened to an entirely different room with a very comfortable bed with chocolates and all sorts of goodies for a, uh, for a uh, uh, newly married couple. And he, he said, I, I didn't know. He didn't open the door. In order to have the power and the help and counsel of the Holy Spirit, some of us have got to open the door. There are some practices and exercises we've got to engage in or this great resource of the Holy Spirit will never be real. Now, the Holy Spirit, then, gives us his counsel by the word, by the word of God. Uh, there was one native Alaskan who uh, would come into town on Saturdays in a small uh, town in Alaska, and he brought two dogs with him. One was, uh, had white fur and a white coat. The other one had black fur or a black coat. And he would set them in the midst of a crowd, and they'd start to the fight with each other. Every Saturday, he'd entertain a crowd with this dogfight and uh, one week the dog with the white coat would win. The next week the dog with the black coat would win. And it went this way for week after week after week. I mean, it was like clockwork. One week the white coat dog would win, the next week the black coat dog would win. And somebody said, how do you arrange that? He said, well, one week I feed one dog and I starve the other one. And the one that eats, he wins. The dog you feed the most is what's going to win. Now, you've got two natures inside of you. You've got that old sinful nature, and you've got the Holy Spirit that's given you a new nature. And the nature that's going to win, the nature that's going to win in you will be the one that you feed the most. If you're fixated on this world, if you spend more time on social media in front of a television screen than you do in the Word of God, If you're listening constantly to the world more than you are to the direction of the Holy Spirit, your flesh is going to win every time. If you want to be somebody that really walks with Jesus, has the counsel and power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to feed the Spirit, the new light, the new Spirit within you. We do that with the Word, and when we get the Word, then we have the mind of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has an affinity for a biblical mind. Because the scripture is his mind. So the Spirit's counsel comes by the word. It comes by listening as well. You've got to pay attention to your own heart and your own spirit. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit gets our attention through a restless spirit. We just can't seem to get calm about something. And when I have that going on in me, I talk to the Lord and I say, Lord, speak, for your servant now listens. I've learned through the years that God wants to say something to me and give me some direction, a word from the word. He wants to apply the word to me when I've got a restless spirit. And then when there's something that is repetitive in my thinking, I keep thinking about something and I can't get it off my mind, that oftentimes takes the shape of people. And I know the Spirit of God is leading me to pray for people. Or decisions, or direction, or making a certain choice about something, and it's repetitive, that indicates to me that the Holy Spirit is leading me in that way. So a restless spirit, a repetitive thought, and then a sense of resolve. I get resolved about something. There's just a sense that I need to do something and it's the right thing to do. And if it's repetitive and I got a restless spirit about it, I really know that if it's within the boundaries of the scripture, then God, by His Holy Spirit, is leading me to do that and I need to listen. But then the church is also another way the Holy Spirit gives His counsel this is not a freelance operation we don't isolate ourselves from one another to do so is to invite ruin and spiritual attack and intensification of spiritual warfare satan always attacks the ship that is not in the convoy satan goes after the ship that is isolated from the convoy and if you look here in verses 15 through 18 when jesus uses the word you it's not singular it's plural it's not you, it's you all. And so he's speaking to the disciples as a group. And so, verse 15: if you all love me, then you all keep my commandments. I'll pray to the Father, and he will give you all another perikaletos, that he may abide with you all forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you all know him, for he dwells with you all and will be with you all, be in you all. I will not leave you all as orphans, I will come to you all. And he did that again in the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. And so we are to walk with one another, we're to be tight with one another, and never, ever isolated. To isolate ourselves from one another is to invite spiritual decline, downgrade, and declension. And so the church is the way the Holy Spirit gives a word from the Word and then obedience when we obey him he gives us direction in other words there is in the Bible the doctrine of measure to whom much is given much is required to him who has shall more be given Jesus would say on a number of occasions so what the Lord does is that he measures our obedience and says well that's the same measure I'm going to use to measure the insight I'm going to give you you will get just as much counsel as you're going to give my son obedience. And so our obedience becomes the ceiling or the measure of how much direction God will give us. And and, and look at verses 21 and 23, by the way. Look down just a few verses. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I make myself and my ways and my will And my decisions and my choices and my guidance manifest or clear to the one who obeys me. And then verse 23, he says something very similar. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus will be down home in the one who obeys him. And so those are some basic practices and some basic points. But I want to spend the balance of our time on basic promises and when we can count on the Holy Spirit to lead us verse 15 includes the first one if you love me keep my commandments and that governs the rest of this passage about the Holy Spirit do you love Jesus the only the only way to tell that and the degree to which we love Jesus is to measure our obedience to him because he said in verse 15 if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love the Lord Jesus, then obey him to repent and believe the gospel today and profess your faith in Christ. If you love him, if you love him, then follow him in baptism if you've received him. If you love him, abandon yourself to his will. If you love him, then abandon yourself to his example. The only way to truly tell whether we love Christ or not is to measure our obedience. For the Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if we love him, we will obey him. That becomes the measure of our love. Now, um, th- that can be a dreadful thing to say in some uh, locations and among some people. Because all of a sudden, people are very aware of their deficiencies before God. And they're very, very aware of the weakness of their life. And they're very aware of the many times that they have disobeyed God. Are you struggling with obedience to God? Listen to me. If you're struggling with obedience to God, do not focus on your obedience or lack of. Do not obsess over that. You'll only grow discouraged. If you look merely at your performance... If you look merely at your behavior, I will guarantee you that is the quickest way to discouragement. Do not focus on that. Don't focus on your obedience or lack thereof if you're struggling with obedience. Instead, focus on your love. Do you love Jesus? Focus on loving him more. In other words, get a good view of him. Let him occupy your mind. Uh, let, let him occupy your attention. Contemplate his multiplied and countless and immeasurable glories and, and his mercies and his kindnesses, his promises, his goodness. Uh, contemplate the great future he has in store for his kingdom and all those that are in it. And that's going to warm and revive and ignite a love in you that will lead you to greater and greater obedience. Do not continue to discourage yourself by focusing on your disobedience or lack of obedience. Instead, pay attention to your love and the Holy Spirit will come through every time. He counsels us when we need more obedience. But then he counsels us, a second promise, when we need discernment. He says in verse 17 that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth he's characterized by truth he's the source and he's the promoter of truth now the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him and so if he fulfills this promise in your life because you trust him it'll make you distinct in the world in which you are in some will admire you some will complain but he is the spirit of truth he's the one that gives discernment he's the one that gives insight he's the one that gives knowledge There have been times in my life that people have said things to me that my spirit went off, and I thought, you know, they're entirely sincere about that. They were struggling with how to articulate either a compliment or a promise, but they were entirely sincere. But then there are other times I've heard the exact opposite in my heart and spirit, and the Holy Spirit will say, watch out, be very, very careful. He usually does that through my wife. But be very careful. This person is not on the up and up. They've got a second agenda. Something different is going on there than just the words. The Holy Spirit can provide that. He can give great wisdom and insight, not only to people, but he can also tell the truth about God and his word. My grandfather, D.V. Jones, pastored for 60 years in southern Mississippi, and he didn't have but a third grade education, but he was immersed in the word of God every day. In fact, I visited his home 15, 20 years ago and saw the place where he would lean back in a wooden chair and lean his head against the wall, and there was a little indention in the sheetrock there where he had leaned back so often and placed his head there, immersed in the Word of God. That was the place where he read the Bible in his bedroom, and it was still there in that home. This man with no more than a third-grade education wrote a weekly column for the Hattiesburg, Mississippi newspaper and did so for many, many years and was used of God to instruct readers and many many others in South Mississippi in the ways of Christ and God used him with just a third grade education to advance the gospel of Christ powerfully in Southern Mississippi. Do you know why that can happen? That can happen because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can give insight and direction no matter what the education level. There are some people that know things that are worth knowing because they walk with God in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will counsel me when I need more obedience and when I need more truth, but then he will counsel me when I need parenting. Look what Jesus said in verse 17 and 18. And let's actually begin in verse sixteen. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus here speaks in terms of the Holy Spirit, in family relationships. You're not going to be as orphans. I will come to you by the Holy Spirit and parent you. I will perform in your life precisely what a godly father or a godly mother would do with you. Now, now, is this not wonderful? He, He says in verse number 17, you know him, he dwells with you, He will be in you, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. The Holy Spirit then makes the Trinity real to those who know Jesus Christ. To those who will know Christ and will receive his counsel, the Holy Spirit makes the Father, the Son, and himself very real. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will even reparent those that are in need. Now, I discern from this because of verse 18 and the family reference in verse 18 to orphans, five qualities of good parents. Jesus said here, You will know him. That means good parents are clear in their expectations, they're not unpredictable, capricious, or arbitrary. And then he will dwell with you and in you. Good, good parents are not distant. There's no doubt about their priorities with their children. Their children are supremely important to them. The only things more important to good parents happen to be their marriage and their God. And usually those three do not conflict. And and then, I will not leave you as orphans. In other words, good parents are responsible. They're not derelict. They are zealous to take care of the needs of their children. And then he says, I will come to you. I will initiate contact with you. Good parents plan. They are intentional. They're not merely reactionary. And then, in five places here in this text, Jesus uses the word you. It's a dominant theme of the text. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit not merely for my benefit. I am giving you the Holy Spirit for your benefit an entire person of the Trinity dedicated to live in every believer because God is sacrificial and willing to meet the needs of his children. So good parents are given to their children. They they are sacrificial. They're not selfish. Now, I'm not really qualified to speak about the psychotherapy concept of reparenting. But I do know enough about the needs of adults and others that some of them need to be reparented. Because if I mention these five good qualities of parents, your parents didn't have it. You need to understand something. If you are mystified by what I'm about to say, thank God you are. There are some in our churches that really struggle on Mother's Day because they did not have good mothers. And they feel left out. If you don't understand that, thank God. But some do. There are some that struggle on Father's Day because their fathers were not honorable. They didn't possess hardly any of these qualities that we have just listed. If you don't understand that, thank God you don't. But there are some who do. They struggle powerfully and mightily. So instead of your parents being clear, they were unpredictable. They had rules that they never announced to you, and when you crossed one of them, it's as if you stepped onto a landmine and they exploded underneath you. There are some parents that were distant and absent. There were never conversations around the dinner table. There were never any board games played around in the evening. There were never any family vacations, as simple or elaborate as they can be. Some of you were left to fend for yourself. They never gave you feedback on your clothing, but when you got to school, kids sure did. There were some that had no plan to help you grow and advance. They never identified any of your gifts or talents or abilities. You had to wait till you met a certain high school teacher or college professor or some others, a, a, a student minister or a pastor. To point those things out they, they scoffed at the idea of you having gifts and talents they they didn't plan on your life after high school at all and then some didn't sacrifice at all they were given to their work they were given to their hobbies they were given to a party lifestyle they would pour out energy and resources for those things but they would not pour out resources and energy for you I've got good news for you if you fit into this category if you had even one parent that failed to parent you, the Holy Spirit intends to arrange a relationship between you and Jesus Christ where the entire Trinity is given to raising you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's why you need to come to Christ. And that's why you need to observe the basic points and the basic principles. Stephanie Fast is one such young woman. She's a Uh, Christian woman in the Pacific Northwest and she was interviewed one time about her life and birth in Korea. Her father was an American soldier who returned to the United States after the Korean conflict and her mother was Korean and she was left with her mother and because of her biological father and mother's match she was made fun of and in Korea in those days they had a word that was very denigrating that they used for such children and they called Stephanie a togi And Stephanie's mother had the opportunity to marry a Korean man if she would eliminate her daughter from her life. And so when Stephanie was about four years old, she was put on a train with the promise that if she got off at the right station at the age of four, her uncle would pick her up and raise her and take care of her. She got to that station and there was no uncle to be found. And so for the, next, for the next five years, she lived on her own in rural areas, in hog pens, in fields, in foxes' dens and had to fend for herself. In fact, she would watch the holes of field mice and wait for them for hours to come up and would capture one and would fillet it and would eat it. That's what she had to do from the age of four until the age of nine. There was a Christian woman that came through and scooped up Stephanie and some others and and created out of these homeless street children an orphanage in her region of Korea. And one day, a missionary couple showed up and was looking at the different children, and Stephanie watched the man. He was a big hulk of a man compared to all the other men that she had ever seen. And this man would tenderly pick up a baby and put the child under his neck and cuddle it and lay the baby down and do that with another and there's something that ignited in her and said this is right this is how it's supposed to be and he came to Stephanie and here's what she said she said I was almost nine years old and had been in the orphanage for about two years I still had dirt on my body especially my especially my elbows In my knees. It was ground into my skin. I had lice so bad that my head was actually white. I had worms so bad in my stomach that when they got hungry, they'd crawl out of my throat. I had a lazy eye that sort of flopped around in its socket. I couldn't see very well at all, probably from malnutrition. My face was devoid of expression. I weighed a little less than 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had boils all over me and scars on my face. And yet still he came over to me where I was. He got down as low as he could, right down on his haunches, and looked straight into my eyes. He stretched out his enormous hand. He laid it on my face just like this. And She closed her eyes tenderly to demonstrate it. His hand covered My head, it felt so good and so right, and then he started stroking my face. I sat there spellbound. And then Stephanie says, finally, what was taking place occurred to me, and it frightened me, and I spit at him twice. Twice, I spit in his face. Well, he wiped it off. He went to the head of the orphanage. And in a few minutes, they called me in, and she said, I was expecting the worst kind of punishment. And the head of the orphanage said to her, Stephanie, this family wants to take you home. And they did. And she was very confused. She did not realize that she was being adopted. She was aware that some children in her country were oftentimes taken from orphanages and other places to become servants in the home where they would be fed decently and have a decent place to live, but through their work and labor and service in the home as servants, they would work off their debt to this family, and that's what she assumed she was doing. But then she got to the home and there was no servant labor. They tucked her into bed. They read to her at night. They were very meticulous and careful to make sure that she ate right. They told her of Jesus and his love, and demonstrated it to her in front of her. And finally, one day, she was talking to a friend, and she said, these Americans are so funny. They don't beat me like others have, and they don't don't force me to work. I don't understand. And the friend said to her, Stephanie, don't you realize? You are not a servant. You are a daughter. And Stephanie began to say, I'm a daughter. I am a daughter. I am a daughter. I am a daughter that explained the kindness and the care and the commitment of this family to this little girl. And soon she gave her heart and life to Christ and has been sharing that testimony for quite some time now. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, by the Holy Spirit, God brings you into the family of God And you become a child of God. And there's some of you here today that were never orphaned legally or physically, uh, biologically, but you were orphaned in the heart. And today God says, I intend to make you mine. And it means so much to me to do so, I slaughtered my son at the cross to make it happen. And I raised him from the dead because I intend on raising you to new life as well. I don't know where you are with these issues but I want to make sure you clearly understand if you've had deficiencies in your life that were of no choice of yours or even if they were the counsel of the Holy Spirit is enough and God intends on giving it to you through Jesus Christ. You can have it and you can have that today that's why I've asked you to look at Acts chapter 2 what a marvelous promise this is beginning in verse 38 Then Peter said to them in Acts 2.38, read with me or listen real carefully, repent, change your mind, you're not as hot as you thought you were when you came in today, especially before God, you're in need. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of, it should be translated, the remission or forgiveness of sins. So repent, repent, Turn to Christ and then follow him in baptism because he's granted you forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing religious that you can do to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've got to trust Christ. And then look at the expansive nature of the promise in verse 39. For the promise is to you, you all, and to your children. So generations and successive generations including this one, and to all who are afar off. Well, I believe we qualify. As many as the Lord our God will call. Jesus is tenderly calling you today. He's urging you to come. You sense that in your heart. You sense a need. Your heart is trusting Christ. You want more of him. That's the call of God, and I want to help you recognize that. So we're going to sing a song today, and we're going to invite you to come. And I want to ask you to resolve to come to him. Don't linger. Don't be charmed by anything in the world or anything that you had before you walked in here today. But be charmed at the treasure who is Jesus Christ, and if you will give yourself to him and let our staff help you, the Holy Spirit will be a gift from heaven to you today.